So in this handout that we have to discuss tonight, um, what I wanted to kind of share with you as you go out to become a yoga instructor and go out to be a teacher, a lot of times you have to do silly things like to uh, put a resume out there <laughs> and um, put your information out even on like a website. And this first sheet here is just a yoga teacher questionnaire all about fun things that you can start thinking about. What are your goals as a yoga teacher? Just like what we did when we checked in, what's the reason you came to the mat? Because that's pretty much gonna become almost your expertise and your forte because that's your passion. How can I help someone, blah, blah, blah. How can I enhance someone or inspire someone? How can I be a catalyst for blah, 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 depending on what you filled your blank in for tonight? So this is just a really fun little thing and maybe a good little journal exercise for you to do, whether it's this week or next week or in the future. It has funny things, everything from your favorite color to um, your perfect idea of happiness. Um, what is your most overrated virtue or what don't you like about your style and want to improve? And then also um, even talking about um, like your greatest loves, your greatest fears. And then in turn, these words that you write down might be a good opportunity for you to communicate who you are and what you are as a teacher. Uh, for yoga related questions, I really want you to ponder this as you're creating your sequences because um, it's really important to think about like what yoga means to you. So by definition, what do you all see yoga as? It's a trick question. Anybody? A moving meditation. A moving meditation. Beautiful. Breath. Breath. Mm -hmm. I think of it as a guide. Guide, yeah. It's the connection of mind, body, spirit. Right, connection, awesome. So that when you really are communicating to your students what it means to you, the whole idea of yoga or union has so many multifaceted meaning and the art and science of this body-mind connection needs to have your own voice, right? So if you have that as a journal question, it'll help you to figure out your goals as a teacher or um, be able to communicate very easily, almost like an elevator pitch to your students, like, this is why I appreciate that you're coming to my class. Or this is um, the kind of experience that you'll have when you travel on the mat with me through a moving meditation, right? Um, when you get to the idea of um, the first time you ever practiced yoga, because that can really help you to um, be able to communicate with your students uh, how you felt. You know, it was scary, it was weird. I thought the person next to me was farting, um, you know, like whatever. I did it with a DVD or I, I was trying to figure it out from a book or I went to a class and I had the best trippiest shavasana ever and I decided that I had to like live this way, right? Uh, and then that kind of ties into the idea of like, have you ever read the Bhagavad Gita? Because if a student says to you, is this a religion? How do you describe the song of God, the Bhagavad Gita to someone? Or if someone says, um, oh, I, I heard this thing called a mantra. Where does it come from? But they come from the Upanishads. Do you, you know, have you like read the Upanishads? Are you into the Upanishads? Is that like your forte or something you wanna communicate? 
And I always think that, um, you know, sharing with your students like what books or magazines or articles, um, that ties into your passion. And then, uh, you know, thinking about like your meditation, is it daily, is it a personal practice, or do you only practice with groups, all that good stuff. Just stuff to think about, right? Fill in the blank. The next page kind of goes into uh, how to sequence a class. So that when you start creating your outlines, and I know you're taking sequencing, but how to sequence a class, you can kind of follow this uh, template or this guidelines for creating your um, overall uh, arc of your class. And it goes through invocation, are you gonna ohm, are you going to just set an intention, are you gonna give a theme? And after that, working on some kind of a breath exercise as part of your grounding technique so that you're not just throwing them into the fire and having them start do stuff without really uh, tapping into their inner metronome. Or, or like some of us have noticed in our lives, when uh, things are really erratic or chaotic, we need to figure out a way to kind of um, tune in instead of getting that outside influences. Because what I would say is that most people have lots of challenges that are diagnosed or undiagnosed, but our world is very um, overwhelming. And so a lot of people are highly sensitive people because you're very creative, you're very aware, you're very in tune, and the practice needs to start with the breath so that we can really find our core, our true essence. So. Once we get into that, you do your um, some kind of warm-up where it would be a sun salutation, your A's, your B's. Some people, have, there's a C version also um, in some schools of thought. But the idea of bringing the sun salutation is a way for a yogi to greet the day. It gives you stamina and strength, and it's the heat that helps to get you to breathe. Where a lot of times you'll take like a yin class or a restorative class or something and I th most of us are not going to be creating that kind of a template in your um, uh, class that you're going to be creating through this mentorship program. But the idea of the sun salutation at first is a great way to heat your body up and create that movement and integrate everything together. Um, you might start off on the floor, but how do you build up? What's the couple of postures that are going to bring you to the sun salutation? Because that's really where the heat starts to come. And I like to think of our bodies as a bellows. So every time that we fold in upon ourselves, we're actually like pushing out all the toxins and the crap and the icky stuff. And um, then when we inhale and we stand up, that's where we refresh, we renew, and all that good stuff. So this sun salutation would come after that integration stuff. And sequencing where you do your standing for your strength and balance and really finding out how to stand in your truth. Uh, balancing poses for harmony of inner and outer awareness, which allows you to be a tree and flourish, which allows you to do dancer's pose and balance out that like uh, where you're creating and destroying at the same time, right? Because you're doing like two totally different things. You're doing a backbend and a standing thing at the same time, reaching in one direction and then the opposite. And then from there, you guide your body down to seated poses, which allow your mind to calm and rejuvenate the organs. But remember that there are, our, if our body moves in six directions, 
you're almost doing, as you are pre preparing your sequences, you're almost doing the same thing standing as you are seated. There aren't very many variations of poses, right? Uttanasana is a forward fold, but if you let gravity take a hold of you and you sit down and do a forward fold, it's called what? Pashimottanasana. Right? Pashimottanasana. But it's the same exact thing. It's just a different gravitational force and different ways to work the breath. So the warm-up gets you kind of moving, but then when you get to the floor, it's almost where things are more accentuated. And uh, then we've got like um, the back bends, which allow you to be brave and open-hearted. And every up dog is a back bend. So you already start off like doing a back bend pretty much like right away. But by the time you get down to the floor, you're really ready to take it deeper. Camel, what's another back bend? Cobra. Cobra. Wheel. Bow. Bow, yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Locust, Locust yep. Perfect, yep. And on all of these backbends, then in turn, allow you to be prepared for an inversion. And your inversion rejuvenates your body and your mind and your system. So maybe it's going to be uh, um, the queen of your practice, which is your? Right? And the king of your practice is your? Awesome. And then you could also do stupid human tricks at this time. Right? So you've got your forearm balances, you've got your, um, you know, different kind of ways to uh, do an inversion to really um, purge the central nervous system and get the Shiva Shakti to connect. Uh, and then at the end, that idea of Shavasana is your restoration time where you have a relaxed awareness and you learn to receive and absorb your experience. So if you follow this arc of a class, if you get confused as you start preparing these sequences to share with your friends in mentorship, you'll be able to pull yourself back out of the, oh shit, what am I doing? I'm totally freaking out. I don't know how to sequence. I think I'm gonna wait till next year to do mentorship. You know, like I'm gonna not do this kind of stuff. You are totally ready for this. You are prepared and we're all doing this together. So you're not alone, okay? Um, and all of your stuff will be reviewed by me, but then this kind of sequence thing, we're gonna have them all written out, just pose by pose by pose. First week, it's gonna be like verbal diarrhea, where you're like, and then I take my foot and I put it in my nose and I fold forward, and you're really pretty like a tree tying back to your intention. But then by the end of it, I just want you to have pose, 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 and then we're gonna copy them for our friends and add it to our existing sequence manual that we're starting to create. So that you'll have your friend's sequences. Mm -hmm. And then uh, obviously the restorative part uh, is combined into Shavasana, that rest and dream time. And what I should add on the sheet is then the idea of how do you get the student out of the postures. In some of the places that I teach at, we leave people in Shavasana because Shavasana should be a 10 minute at least integration process. But the challenge is, is that in our modern day, we don't have the opportunity um, to sometimes just leave people and let them be on their own for their own journey into their um, neurological pathways and into the nadis uh, and the chakras and allow them to do the healing work that they need to do. So then I would add in at the end is, uh, how would you get your students out? 
you know? Mm-hmm. Are you gonna bend one knee and then the other and do a twist? Are you going to just have them rock and roll up to a seated position? Are you gonna say, when you're ready, um, sit up? <laughs> you know, um, are you gonna have them roll to their right or their left side? You know? Are you gonna allow them to roll into the swara, which is the flow of energy? So whichever nostril is most open, you roll to that side, which in turn <coughs> opens up the other nostril. <coughs> yeah. I use both Svara. Uh, I think it's as V-A-R-A, Svara, the flow of energy. <coughs> and then that kind of leads into the next thing is like, I like pretty words, I like Sanskrit, I'm always studying. And the next page, or your third page, is all about how uh, some of some links to some favorite books or some different things, but the swar, or the idea is, one of my mentors uh, um, is Richard Freeman. He's one of my biggest mentors. And uh, um, Michael Stone is one of his disciples. We have some books here of Michael Stone. Um, he just recently passed away. Um, Another one of Richard's uh, uh, people who follow, you know, like started with him is uh, uh, Noah Mays, who is here. Uh, so there's lots of interesting people that follow that lineage of Ashtanga um, and have done really interesting things. But Richard has beautiful uh, lectures and beautiful uh, chanting things and songs on his website. It's Richard Freeman. So you I, say he's your mentor? Mm-hmm. So do we technically say you're our mentor then? No. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm your friend. Okay. I'm I don't not, know. I, no, yeah. Everyone no. always talks I'm about the, cool. you know, their mentors yeah. and their lineages. Yeah. And it's like, well, I've been practicing for right. so long. Yeah. I don't, I don't know yeah. what I would say yeah. as a mentor. Or not. Right. You know what I mean? You can Whatever. be a slut like me. Yeah. I just say that there's like so many different people that I love to study with. Yeah. That, but I would say my hugest influence, because I love the philosophy and the lifestyle and the, um, just the overall, um, his wife, Mary, um, she's an amazing uh, a chef and has written books, and they're just philosophers. Are and they, they local? No, okay. they're in Colorado. Um, but they, he was one of the, literally one of the first people Patabi Joyce ever certified to go out into the universe to teach Ashtanga. Really? So yeah, he's kind of he's kind of a badass. He's pretty much amazing. Uh, yeah. And then there's like Judith Lassiter mm-hmm. and you know like, I mean the list goes on and on and on of all the cool people that you can study with. And I made a list here, like David Swenson is one of my mentors. His brother Doug is fantastic. Um, Manju Joyce's uh, is Patabi Joyce's second son who didn't want to take over the business. I've studied with him, he's in California. There's so many amazing people. Uh, Cindy Lee is great. Um, she started something called Om Yoga, Jivamukti Yoga, uh, obviously Iyengar. Mm-hmm. Baron Baptiste is one of the first well-known power yoga teachers, and he's still going strong. Uh, there is a link to sequencing in yoga. Uh, I really think that if you haven't read about Bhagavad Gita, you sh- there's a good reference there to a book that you can get. 
And if you don't have light on yoga, I know that they are now saying that you don't need it in mentor uh, in teacher training, but I really think that is kind of like a yoga teacher's Bible for those of us who started off old school. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, is the book mm -hmm. oh, a good way to read that? Is it like you can you read the first part of it, like a story, because it's kind of written like that, mm -hmm. and then the parts where it breaks down all the poses, mm -hmm. is that something that, you, that we should be reading like just oh, like a fortune cookie. Okay, just yeah. like whatever. But they do show building on top of building on top of building. Okay. Yeah. 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 Any labels them or rates them in terms of difficulty and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay. So kind of like just a reference. It's just a book. Yeah, it's a reference book okay. to see how, like, and then Dharma Mitra, which I mentioned in, in, uh, two texts ago. I don't know if you were in that one, but Dharma Mitra is someone interesting too. He took pictures of himself in 908 yoga poses. Is that and one of the Ashtanga Nope. Oh, because mm -mm. that guy is like... David Swenson? Yeah, like, yeah. hurt himself doing no. all those poses. Uh, uh, this guy did. Yeah. Oh. Iyengar oh. did. Yeah, Iyengar okay. was put in the hospital yeah, after doing right. that. And that's like a little known fact that a lot of people don't know. And that's, um, uh, there's a man named Matthew who is another friend of mine who's a prolific writer who came to speak at my advanced training at Formoto. And uh, I can send you his links, too. But that is really like lighting a fire under American yoga because it's uh, very counter to what you see on Instagram. But yeah, no one really knows. He got really sick and was hospitalized after taking all those pictures. Because mm -hmm. he just pushed himself too far? Or? It's not good for you. Yeah. yeah. It affected his whole body. To do all these poses like yeah. in a short it's amount of time. Yeah. 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 And 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 he really was trying to have perfect form and everything like that. So mm -hmm. uh and uh yeah. What's Matthew's last name? I have to I'm having a brain fart. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I promise to I wanna say Ricard, but I also think that that's a um a famous medita Buddhist monk. So I'm having a brain fart. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right? Captain Jean-Luc. <laughs> um, how many of you have an existing meditation practice? I know, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So it's really, really integral part of grounding your shit down. And also, in order to make money as a yoga teacher, it is kind of like, the irony of it is that you don't have a lot of balance because you're running around trying to teach. And a lot of times, if you're in a city... I just heard of someone who was in Michigan and said her teacher drove 45 minutes to yoga every day to teach, you know, or like people are going in all the different directions. So grounding down with meditation is really huge. If you don't meditate and need to kind of like start your practice or have inspiration or have people like uh, um, give you a uh, sound baths or uh, learn about like chakra meditations and all kinds of different things insight timer is the one to go for it's really good and um, you can sign up like I signed up but I'm not in the city that I live in like because I don't want like people you you know like I know people who've like gotten married from it 
Wait, what? What? Wait, They've met each other, you know, because you can say what city you live in and all that stuff, and you can start talking, you can join groups. It's this huge network of people. Like, when I meditated this morning, 5,000 other people around yeah. the, where, oh, where oh, I yeah. live oh, were meditating, but I say I live somewhere than I actually live oh, because God. I don't... You don't like, want them knowing where you're at. Yeah, <laughs> or like, to like, oh, she skipped today. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah. Too much pressure. Right. <laughs> Like a right. Um, it can track you. It's 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 yeah. It says Okay. Um, another thing too is that um, as you're on this journey and you're still beginning, I would say take a class at a new studio every four weeks to keep the ideas and new input coming. That's once a month. Take a class someplace different. But. We live in a digital age, and this was written before all of these other things were like out in the universe. There's Yoga Glow, there's Gaia, there's um, there's so many good things online. There's Yoga with Adrian. She's like a YouTube star, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So like you can find things anywhere, but just get out of your headspace and try something different so that you don't get stuck. Because that can happen too. You're teaching so much that you just get kind of stuck in a pattern and you get stuck in a mindset and then you're kind of uh, get bleh. Uh, another thing here is on the yoga teacher questionnaire and the first page it was asking you all kind of like a little bit about yourself so that that will help you to write a yoga resume which is the next list of things on page three. Uh, how to write a resume, you want to be positive because you rock. You're a um, pure of heart revolutionary spirit. Don't forget it. So how would you describe yourself in three sentences? The first page helps you to describe yourself in three sentences. For my personal business for Super Stretch, I've been going to meet with a lot of VCs, and they always say, like, you know, that Shark Tank thing, like, if you're in an elevator with someone for two minutes, what are you going to say about yourself? To sell it. Right? That's what I want you all to be able to describe yourselves as a teacher. What's your style? You know, je ne sais quoi. What's like your thing that makes you not stand out in the crowd, but what makes you, you, you know? Because you already stand out in the crowd because you're amazing women. So you don't have to worry about that. But I gave you here an outline of kind of like your name and um, uh, how to all set it up. But um, you know, you discovered your practice while blah, yoga provided a blah for blah, right? And you've been a practitioner for how many years? You've studied with X, Y, and Z, or you could just say, like, I studied at this institution, so I have many mentors. You don't have to list them all. But all this stuff starts coming up when you're going to, like, do an Instagram account or do your website or apply for a job, right? You've completed your 230 or 500-hour yoga alliance study with an emphasis in, you know, is it going to be restorative? Is it going to be Iyengar? Is it going to be um, a- aerial yoga? Is it going to be somatic uh, yoga therapy? All, you know, there's so many different things that you can say. I'm certified to teach. And then the specific thing you're certified to teach. Uh, you have um, your current um, like uh, insurance. You're going to need yoga insurance. And at the last day of class, I'll give you links for Yoga Alliance and how to get your yoga insurance and all that stuff, and even how to get a CPR, because I really think it's important that you get CPR. 
to teach. Some places might not require it, but I think, I think that's a requirement to be on Yoga Alliance now. Somebody said oh, that in oh, a tech okay. session the other day. Where Very cool. You have to have yeah. certification. Because people, I mean, I know for years, people, and I also know people who've graduated from this program who don't apply to Yoga Alliance do it sooner than later. It's a worthwhile investment because our world now is very, it's becoming more and more regulated. Uh, and then uh, you live in a place where you continue to do your personal um, information, kind of like, you know, like, I think my resume says something like, I uh, live in the gypsy vibe bohemian apartment, you know, and I have, uh, you know, like traveler or whatever, you know, like I like 80s rock music, or this is my favorite yoga quote, or, you know, I like to tickle my toes and walk in the flowers. Whatever is that your pa your passion is, right? You know, and then uh, it's an opportunity for a photo. And I would have someone kind of, you know, like a friend, do some fun little photos for you. And uh, this sheet is misplaced, but it still works. It's part of your sequencing manual. It is the Ashtanga sheet that some of you get in your tech with me, but it gives you a good idea. Here, here is an arc of a class to help you invoke pure awareness. You start off with five A's, five B's, and then you move left to right. One, two, three, four, five rows of examples of how to sequence a class with cute little stick figures until the end you find Shavasana. And remember that Ashtanga, the word itself, means eight limbs. And we teach and study in yoga teacher training the eight limb path. So this is a really good example of the marriage of breath and movement. Make sense? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> So yet another tool to help you if you get stuck on how to create a class, you have literally, I have taught people how to teach at fitness facilities where they don't have to be certified and I make them copy this like 10 times and highlight and create a sequence so that they'll highlight and kind of go through and be able to create a sequence for an, an hour long sequence based on all of these Ashtanga poses. So you can use this as a template to create a bunch of classes. This, this is the order it should be in. For Ashtanga? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it goes uh, five sun salutation A's, five sun salutation B's, left to right. So you've got row one, row two, row three, row four, row five. And you'll see when you look at it, I mean, there aren't any poses that you haven't done. You know all of these poses. You might not practice Ashtanga, but this is where this practice of flow or vinyasa classes. Are the numbers in parentheses the number of breaths equal? Yes, I put the number of breaths, and I tried to uh, write out the exact way that the word is translated. So Paschimottanasana is a Western back-stretching pose because your body, north, south, east, and west, 
your body is your autobiography, right? So, and you'll read this in Light on Yoga, but your body is a map. And the entire map is right here. You just have to go on a journey. And you can heal your body, as you all know and have felt. You can rewrite your autobiography. We have a choice, and we have an opportunity to literally inspire, no joke, because it's the breath, ourselves to change and to create yummy goodness that, and all kinds of things. Oh, funny, cute. She's <laughs> <laughs> very cute. It is... So then as we turn to the page that says tips for yoga instructors, this is kind of really important because um, the first phase of what you guys are going to do tonight is talk about uh, uh, belly buttons, right? <laughs> but other than talking about belly buttons, no, for the first thing that you're going to do when you guide people inward, you're helping them to kind of ground down. And what happens when others ground down and we talked about this when you studied the Yoga Sutras, the idea of compassion versus empathy. One of the biggest challenges I see for burnout for new teachers is the fact that they don't have a protective shield and then they give too much and they um, burn out and they can't teach anymore because they've started to absorb and um, appropriate other people's issues and challenges because um, you want to be healers and helpers and be really positive guides, but um, we have to remember that um, we also have to provide space for ourselves and take care of ourselves. Um, it says here, um, under give and receive, that there's a Native American saying that we must humble ourselves to receive before we can truly give. As we, as teachers, adjust and make space for physical contact, and it also in turn becomes emotional and spiritual contact, we have to also speak create space for ourselves, for body, mind, energy, and nurturing touch. So my biggest tip um, to start off as you um, help people get inspired through breath and movement and guide them inward is number one, create a protective shield of prana. Mm, a lot of times that's why yoga teachers create carry malas. I have some friends who cross their arms and cover the front of their body um, to protect their heart. Um, but that always looks like they're angry. No? Um, I have some teachers who don't like to touch students. It's very often when I'm not in a really grounded space, I won't give adjustments and I'll just use verbal cues. But um, um, when we all checked in, uh, uh, we already know that we're highly sensitive, intuitive individuals, and we've already tapped into some of our sixth sense and through the practice of yoga. So in order to keep these six senses heightened, awake, and attuned, you have to create some kind of a protective shield. And it could be a rock. I have, I, you know, you can carry rocks. Quartz are really good to uh, um, keep so that negative energies don't come towards you clear cords. Um, you can put them throughout the yoga room that you teach at. I mean, there's so many different ways of doing it, but right here, to create a golden shield, you can create a protective breath that moves with prana around your body. Uh, you can start off 
and you wouldn't have time for this, but laying in Shavasana and breathing in a circle, going a bit above and a bit below, below the body like a mandala, and you do this eight times before you start. It's almost like an infinite loop that you can take through your body. One of the best ways to create a protective shield of prana is before class, I go and wash my hands. After class, I go and wash my hands. Simple, concise, but it's a great way of kind of like letting go. I have some friends who are healers and body workers and they talk a lot about like a shell and the organic nature of a shell and how they funnel things and kind of let it go. But it's really important to find some way to use your breath to create a protective shield. It could be green inside so that it's um, enhancing your heart. It could be purple inside so it's heightening your intuition. It could be golden on the outside so that you have that protective barrier of the, um, you know, of the universal force around you. It really just depends on what you kind of want to do. And there are books on this kind of stuff. But it's really important as you start going on the mat um, that you see each person for whom they are. And when in turn you do that, you start to create a bond and a connection. And in turn, those energies start to get closer and closer and closer, almost like familial stuff that you have with a child or your partner, you know? So you have to really be careful that you don't get cords caught or hold a lot of stuff, which is another thing that I think this is, is like releasing. So does that make sense? So protective shield of prana. And then also to really think about the um, meditation and mindfulness practice is that that's really your foundation and intention or objective of your practice is to share the metta, the loving kindness. But it has to begin with yourselves. So if you accept for who, who you are with no judgment, you can extend this feeling out towards others. And as I constantly discuss, the first principle, the first precept, the, the first um, limb of our eight limb practice is ahimsa, right? In thought, in speech, and in action, we do no harm to others. But most importantly, you have to do no harm to yourself. So you really need to have that mindfulness intention set for yourself with a protective shield of prana before you go on the mat. And um, creating your own intention as a teacher is some of the handouts that I'm going to give you for next week that you received, but that's what we're going to discuss next week. Um, Om Mani Padme Home is may the jewel of the lotus flower and send out light of love and compassion to unite all existence as one. That's something that you could say to yourself as a protective shield. It doesn't have to be like washing your hands or doing a, a breathwork energy. It could be a chant. It could be the Shanti Pot or the Gayatri Mantra. Um, it could be just be saying. To yourself, may all beings be happy, may all beings be at peace, may all beings be well. And whatever isn't mine, I don't need to hold on to, right? That is theirs, let it go back into the earth. And that you allow yourself to keep the positivity and the energy that you become as a conduit, as a teacher, you know? There's many times in class where I'll walk out and I'm like, I don't know where that shit just came from. Because you're opening up to something greater than you are. You're tapping into something, what yogis call the Indra's web. 
the great big matrix, kind of like the movie. But there's something greater. And when you really are on the mat and you're like doing the work, you as teachers are doing a lot of stuff. You're multitasking, right? You gotta teach a class, you gotta think about the students, you gotta make sure they're aligned, and then you gotta cue all these words, and then oh yeah, you gotta remember to breathe, and then all of a sudden it's just like all this stuff is happening. So you really have to make sure that um, you are present. And in this presence, because you are doing so many things at the same time, it almost is as if something else is helping inspire you to keep all of this awareness happening all at once. What did you call it? Indra's web. What Indra's web. Mm -hmm. I-N-D-R-A apostrophe S. And when we tap into this matrix, it's pretty cool because think about how the chakras are laid out in your body. When you get to that um, thousand-petaled lotus at the top, it's very similar to that essence because you have mm -hmm. tapped into cool stuff and that makes it so that you're not alone when you're doing this mm -hmm. and also to prepare your space like you notice like I have like kind of that ritual of putting the block and the strap and the uh, cushion to sit on and a blanket and a mat and all that stuff but to me that makes me feel like I have a space or a home and it's very grounding some people can just be like, throw out a yoga mat, whatnot. But make something comfortable for you to be able to have a home place. And then you might have like notes or your journal that you have your intention. And you can always kind of sit down, touch base, go to it. Your water can be placed there. You know, it just gives you a good home base. And then preparing the space for the students is just to make sure that it's clean and there isn't stuff all around or like there isn't like a ladder in the middle of a calming yoga room or you know <laughs> all that stuff and we get into uh, the next things we're going to talk about is uh, basic teaching principles to follow to be a good teacher you must be an eager humble inquisitive student so never think that you know it all. That's where it's going to get really dangerous. I constantly feel myself personally that I'm a student. And I think that that in turn makes me really excited. You know, when I hear things or when people talk about stuff or when students are um, sharing things that are personal, like your, what you're studying, how cool that I can learn from all of you and hear about meditation and be like, oh, what's happening with this? And I mean, that's the alchemy of the practice is that it's never ending and we're constantly changing. And if you do feel like you stop, then we need to um, move forward and uh, take a break before you come back to teaching. Because I think the person who knows it all, that's when the dangerous, icky stuff starts to happen to yourself and to your students. You want to be mindful in practice and thought, word, and posture. Uh, <laughs> rendering service is like parenting. Um, we are the servants of servants. I see that as, in some ways, um, you know, you are not going to receive maybe all the output that you're getting out 
you know? So you have to find a way to nurture yourself. Self-care is huge for yoga teachers. If you don't get like hands-on body work or if you don't find time out in nature or time place to like really enhance yourself um, in some way where you're receiving something and all you're doing is giving, it's not going to be really good for your spirit. And it manifests in interesting ways. Be helpful as a teacher. Don't impress. Do what's appropriate for a student's practice, not yours. So you're teaching for modifications on up, and you're teaching so that you can allow your students to um, really find their practice versus yours. Which means you're not going to go show off and do some crazy pose in the center of the room if that's not what you're teaching. Right? Don't be self-righteous or lay a trip on the students um, so that you're like not like um, trying to be like uh, all egotistical or um, look at me like I'm the most important. I think as a teacher you have to be pretty humble and kind of step back. Flirtations, ego, flattery, um, uh, arrogant or seductive stuff doesn't really work very well, except for we have this challenge in our Western culture that people really, really are into the like cute little outfits and the stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, I have worked at places where in my job interview, uh, I was told that the owner wanted to take me shopping because I dressed too asexual and um, that uh, and need to amp it up because their clientele wants to see a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like more skin? Or like more like... Everything. Sexy lady clothes? Yeah, a little bit of everything, yeah. Like the yoga outfits and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So we live in a really crazy culture, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the people who advance as teachers might not be the ones who are good teachers, but they sure as hell present themselves really well and can, um, you know, play the game really well. You kind of have to decide what exactly you want to do and how you want to pre present yourself. So you might have a uniform, you know? You might have kind of like a style. But don't let anybody sway you from whatever it is. Like, really own it. Let your freak flag fly. Own whatever you decide to do, you know? What did you do in that situation? Uh, well, it was earlier in my career, so I um, uh, changed a little bit and uh, kind of found a way to work within the um, parameters, but still be able to be myself. I didn't get, um, you know, the following, you know, or the critical mass, maybe because of that. But I also got the real people who wanted to dive deeper into than just doing stupid human tricks. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. And that, that, that like, all kind of ties into um, when you're um, respecting yourself, uh, the internal process of yoga student, that you're a reflection of what you're teaching, you know? Uh, when you, on, uh, for seven, when you practice alignment in your own body as you adjust others, 
Remember, you're working from breath, psoas, and flow. So we have, what do you guys have, like three alignment core sessions? Well, hopefully. Yeah, okay, it was, good. Yeah, it was like standing, one seated, one inversions, one backbends. Oh, good. Yeah, because I think um, alignment and adjustments are really huge. And you just want to really make sure that you work from breath and that you work from the flow of where you're at. Don't push anybody or don't pull anybody too much. And if you want to do adjustment stuff um, and you want to practice more, come back or get someone to, um, you know, uh, help you, you know, like practice on your friends um, before you do it to others. When you go into the room, part of that protective shield of prana is to make sure that you are also um, aware of your own mind state. If you're in a poopy mood, and you go into class with a poopy mood, the students are gonna leave in a poopy mood, right? So you have to remember that you're not bringing your issues into the classroom. Now, you can use your issue as a mantra or an intention for the class to describe, to make it more personable so that you don't just come off as like a robot, but you're not gonna um, bring negativity or uncomfortable energy into the room. Um, look at the whole pose and um, before you're adjusting. Allow students to discover their internal flow of the pose. And remember that yoga does the healing. You're a support system. You're not a therapist. And don't take credit for what nature does. So you've heard my joke before, but we're um, not doctors. We just play one on TV. What happens is that People will come with you with your issues and stuff like that because they want to know the truth and they want to, they might be really intense or they might have a challenge or they might have some physical thing, but we need to get them space to be and let them find their path or to have them go to uh, a regular doctor and find out or a psychologist if it's bringing up issues. Because we, we aren't here to make uh, recommendations on how someone should heal an injury or a mental disorder or some kind of a challenge unless that's your background. Oh, son? Yeah. I thought you were Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, and in turn, when we try to give students, um, you know, that space to be and let them find their path, remember that the guru means out of the darkness into the light. That it the guru lies within. You're really not the teacher. You're telling people things that they already know. You're telling people things that they just need to shine a little light on so that they can really go to where they want to go in their life. And that's really important because the best sign of if you're a really good teacher is if you have a student for like a year that comes like almost every day or to every class that you teach and then they disappear. Because that means that they're on their own path and they've started their home practice. They've started blah, 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 or whatever that is. That's, that's the sign of it. It's not how many students you can keep and retain and all of that. And I know we get paid per head or we get paid for a certain fee, but really you want the student to evolve and change and grow. 
and not try and lay a guilt trip on them or make them feel like you're omnipotent and that they have to stay for you and then they're not going to be able to exist without you. And there's lots of people who like to do things like that and then they get in trouble. Because karma is a boomerang. Um, be kind and patient because the student is a reflection of you. Yeah. And the last one in that little segment is to don't be afraid to say I don't know because you want to teach from experience. You want to teach what you know and not what you do not know. And that's really, really important because whether it's a headstand practice and you don't have one and then someone gets hurt, or whether it's an adjustment and you twist someone too far because you've never done that adjustment before but the student said to do that and then they get hurt, or you uh, start doing some crazy arm balance practice and then someone's shoulder gets dislodged. You know, there's so many different things. You just want to make sure that it's something that you do and you practice and it's a part of you. As a yoga instructor, what we're going to really focus on here together in our time together for these three sessions is to discover your voice and style as a teacher. You might be a person who wants to do adjustments or doesn't. You might want to touch people or not touch. And remember that your verbal instruction is just as effective. In some schools of thought, verbal instruction is all they do. And um, sometimes they do physical demonstration. In the way that you all are learning here, you're only to do physical demonstration when you are um, doing a workshop within the class. Uh, and especially when we're going through this mentorship stuff, you're not going to be able to do physical demonstration. But with the number of people who come to a class um, in most regular studios, if it's not like 20 and above, it's okay to do poses with your students if there's four students. You're not going to do the whole class, but you can like demo a link of postures, like say you're going to move into Marichyasana, then you can link like a Janushusasana to a, um, a Bhattakanasana to a um, Hashimotanasana to like a, a, then a twist, right? You can kind of link things together, but you're not going to practice the whole class with your students. There are places, like say you go teach at a community center at first and you're going to go like uh, do community classes, you might have to stand right in front and talk and teach the entire time because all of your students have no freaking idea what you're talking about. So there's always, um, every situation needs to be seen from a fresh lens and a fresh perspective. As a yoga instructor, you want to make sure that you confidently and safely adjust students in every posture of the standing poses in the, in the series. And you want to make sure to do um, your adjustments, either like um, really gentle or uh, not, um, you don't want to stand on someone and hurt them. You know, you don't want to push them too far, and you want to make sure that um, uh, you give people space for their skeletons. Try not to do asana correction in finishing sequences and inversions, um, because you don't know what is going on with someone's neck, 
you don't know what someone's happening. If they feel really stable on a headstand, then you go grab their toes. You know, you have no idea. So stay away because those are really dangerous areas. And um, remember to share your passions, your information, and practice and have fun. And a lot of times, because everybody's body's different and there are so many different voices and styles, you really need to listen to your own inner voice when you're teaching. Okay. Your yoga class overview. Like a composer, an artist, a designer, an engineer, a writer, you are a yoga architect and you are creating and experiencing. You need a strong composition. Most of the trainings that I've ever gone to or been involved in, uh, and I did do the 500, my first 500 hour here. Well, my first 500 hour was Bikram, but then I did 500 hour here. Um, I was one of the first numbers, but the thing that you need to think about is, is that this is like one of the only programs that doesn't make you memorize a sequence. So you girls have like one of the hardest jobs in the whole world because you didn't go to the Cordon Bleu and then like learn all of this stuff and then go and apprentice and learn all about the spices and what to pull from the spice rack and what goes right and have all the boo-boos and stuff like that and then go off and become a chef of your own restaurant. You're like literally becoming a chef of your own restaurant once you step out of the door. So that whole process of in-between and creating a strong composition um, is really, really, um, I'm very um, humbled that you're doing that. It's really challenging, and I really am really um, respect you all for um, doing that. It's pretty cool. When most people leave a teacher training program, they have a set sequence that they've memorized. I had an hour and a half sequence that I had to memorize for Bikram, verbatim, word for word. That uh, they gave to you. Yeah. Told you which yep. Yep. Ashtanga, we have to know the sequence, but you don't have to know the, um, you know, words. For like a Modo Moksha community, we have to know the sequence, but we can create the words, right? With core power, with lifetime fitness, with even at um, YMCA's, <coughs> they memorize the sequence. You can use your own words, but they memorize the sequence. So. With your sequence, I gave you that sequence outline, but you want to remember that you have a beginning, a middle, and an end to your class. You always want to walk into class, and this is going to be the first thing we're going to kind of play around with, is um, if you have any injuries or things you should know about with the students. That's why they sign a waiver or you stand at the front so that you can talk to them before class. You usually want to say, like, hi, my name is. <coughs> Ask if there's any boo-boos, if people want hands-on adjustments, and then you kind of go into the intention of your class and set it up. If you're going to a new place to teach, make sure you introduce yourself and give that overview of who you are. You know, those two sentences or three sentences. I just mentioned this recently, but don't talk about you for the rest of the class unless it relates to the poses and the intention. Make the class fun and engaging and give them um, time to find space so they can enjoy the moment. As a yoga teacher, you are a yoga guide. 
So you're opening up areas within your students they already have, they just haven't had the opportunity or space yet to get there. So you might see interesting things happen, like sometimes someone might be in a pose and start uncontrollably laughing. Some might be in a pose and start uncontrollably crying. Some might be in a pose and say, fuck this shit out really loud, and then walk out of the room. <laughs> you might walk over to someone in class, and then you touch them, and they say, get away, fucking bitch, <laughs> which has totally happened, right? Because there's lots of weird stuff that happens on the mat. So you have to really make sure that you give students the space and that perfect balance of movement and stillness, right? So then we get back to shtirasuka asana, and we get back to the ha and the ta of why we're here. We're always finding balance. Go into everything with no expectations. You might have a plan, and it might change based on the group dynamics. So you have a kind of an outline that you know, this is the arc of my class, and this is my intention, but then it could go to hell in a handbasket when you start watching your students. So you really have to not think like, or be really anal, or think that you need to keep this like really pretty box, because then you're gonna find that you're gonna have a lot of trouble. Uh, and then for sequencing a class, you have a, a log that we're starting here of class sequences. Make things posture-focused flashcards for yourself. So you can do stick figures to memorize the, um, you know, like the words if you want. Um, there are great books to read and study for class sequences. Watch DVDs, watch the things on the internet. Um, keep practicing on your own and meditating and journaling and tap into your inner resources. Right here, we have an accountability group. So we're gonna go through the beginning, the middle, and the end of class together, and how you're creating it. But maybe you have groups of people from your teacher training that become your accountability group, and if they don't, find a different one, you know? But create a group of individuals that can keep elevating you to be better that can keep elevating you to challenge yourself or to learn more or to um, share books or music or start chanting or, you know, find your tribe. <clears throat> All right. And so those are some of my tips and tools for yoga instructors that I wanted to share with you before we go over our sequences.